from the news capital of the world and all around all around America and all around the world, in fact. You're with The Daily Objective. I'm Jonathan Honig from CapitalistPig.com. We've got a fabulous program coming up at you in the next couple of minutes, along with me for the Thursday Collective, Mark Pellegrino, actor, activist, intellectual. Happy to have you with us as always, Mark. Great and to Ma- Amanda you. Maxim, Dr. Amanda Maxim. She is currently, uh, well, she's, she's worked with the Ayn Rand Institute and a host of other pro-liberty and pro-individualist organizations and uh, a great advocate for freedom as well. So happy to have you, Amanda. Hello. Well, and, and also, of course, our super chatters, we literally cannot do it without you. So help us be part of the Thursday Collective by hitting us up on super chat from two pounds to two shekels to two dinar. We will take it and accept it all. Bitcoin, uh, TBA. But uh, certainly anything um, anything on the Super Chat, we really need your support today. And we've got a, a, re- a really fascinating topic. Mark, I know you're an animal lover and, and you've promised a shot of your, your animal who's apparently a big fan of TDO as well. <laughs> He's a huge fan. He's sitting here right now listening to the show. Here he is, Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my Frankie, which uh, most of the people I think watching us know. Um, my 15 and a half year old dachshund, who's been with me since he was a little teeny puppy. And he's my best friend in the whole world. So yes, <laughs> he's my buddy. He goes with me everywhere. Okay, buddy. Enough. Enough of that. He he is he is gorgeous, Mark. And, and uh, Amanda, you, you don't have a pet, do you? What? Are you kidding? Look at this. This is oh, Ruffles. Who's that? Ruff, Ruffles. Ah, big, big, big dog. Little Ruffles oh. stilt skin. He's he's how, how long has he been with you, Amanda? Um, I know. Despite the beard, it is a girl. Uh, I think she's like, you know, eight, seven, eight years old, something like that. Thank you, team, fame. Master, for your very generous contribution. You're keeping the Ayn Rand Center UK going, Ayn Rand uh, Center UK going. We really appreciate that from all of us. Thank you, theme. And be like theme, tame, master. Contribute on the super chappy part of what we're doing. Well, those are gorgeous animals, guys. I have my own I have to share. Uh, you've seen uh, Maudine. She's my uh, St. Bernese, big, big fan as well. But despite the fact we all love these animals and we value them, they don't have any rights, do they? I mean, these animals, which they, and we see that all over the place right now, right? This constant insistence that animals have rights. In, in Spain, in fact, Spain has granted animals the same rights as human. They've updated their civil codes. Uh, Delaware now has got a group that is basically wants to make it illegal to declaw your cat. Uh, there's a, a lawsuit now at Costco, which is a major US retailer, basically saying they're violating the animal's rights by selling the chicken too cheap. Basically Costco uses hot dogs and chicken as a, as a lost leader. And the animal rights groups are saying now, you're violating the animal's rights. Ecuador now has ruled that wild animals have legal rights. So let's just kind of toss it around the, 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 the stage here briefly. I mean, what to make of this as, individuals, I guess the students of objectivism about this real movement now to classify animals as basically the same as human beings, as having the same rights as human beings. Yeah, I don't want to be sold at the front of the Costco as a rotisserie chicken. (laughs) Well, you have to, go ahead, go ahead, Mark. 
No, no, I, 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 I think it's important for us to extend our, our, uh, our moral arc, so to speak, into the animal community. And I think we understand more about animal, animal behavior and the level of their sentience now than we did, you know, 40 or 50 years ago. And it's important to be sensitive to that. I think anybody who um, uh, understands living things and what sentience means um, must respect that the, the capacity to feel and the capacity to have emotions that animals have and, and do their best to honor that. But that, that is not the same as, um, as a being like, uh, uh, like a human being who has rights that reflect aspects of our consciousness and the reflect aspects uh, of our, of our ne needs for life. Um, none of which are present in, in animals that have a lower form of consciousness that we objective is called perceptual level consciousness. Even the ones that can think a, a little bit more, uh, you know, can problem solve a little bit more. Um, they're not conceptual beings. They don't have the same relationship to the world that conceptual beings have. They don't need um, spaces that we call, uh, f you know, duty-free zones like rights in order to live and interact with their environment. So um, it, I don't know if Mark that long... Already, Go ahead. You know, Mark is already hitting on so many really fundamental elements of this <laughs> that you never hear in any of these discussions. And obviously I think our discussion today of animal rights, if you will, I mean, I don't think it's so dissimilar to some of the national discussion now in terms of abortion rights. You know, saying, does this entity feel pain? Is it aware on what level? Um, and thank you, Bonnie, for your contribution. Robert, who's a member for his company, Robert says, Ocon is consuming his entire Super Chat budget, but he's still participating. He's a member, so we want to encourage everyone to do that. Robert says, individual rights can't be exercised or even understood by animals, so they certainly can't be granted to them. That said, treat them rationally. And Mark's kind of alluding to a bit of what you said. Yeah, I think people say, like, animal rights often... Uh, I mean, they say the word rights because that gives it a certain clout, like rights are a really serious thing. I think oftentimes it means like in the most benevolent sense that, you know, to treat the animals right, to do right by, do right by the animal first. You well, know. I mean, to, it, 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 I have to, we have to add Dr. Peekoff on whom this episode is, his title has been stolen from a question he was asked on this podcast. He's a big animal lover as well, but I mean, at the end of the day, we are eating them, right? We're not doing right. <laughs> We're carving them up. And Dr. Peekoff was asked this exact question. Why is the taste of meat more valuable than the animal's freedom, the animal's right to live and be that cute cow? Um, and with your guy's permission, we'll, we'll maybe just crib a little bit of his answer and, and talk about it in real time. Sure. Let's do well, it. This idea of, you know, valuable to who? And Dr. Peekoff says, you know, value isn't a fact just out there. It's an assessment to a valuer. I'm paraphrasing his words right now. He says, basically this idea says that man should not place his life and enjoyment above that of the cow. He identifies that as egalitarianism, obliterating the difference between man and other species. And isn't that just to begin with, we'll talk about that. That's, that's kind of what this animal rights movement's about. I mean, they basically saying that you can give a cow a lawyer that you know, a cow needs to have legal representation in, in a court of law, just as a human being does. And that, you know, again, from what Dr. Peekoff said, there's, there is no difference between man and any other species. They're all the same. 
Um, yeah, that, that, and this is, this is, a, is sort of an interesting question to me because I think even in, in the human realm, the degree to which uh, a, a being has reason, um, how can I express this? We, we, make, we make concessions to beings who aren't uh, developed enough to um, stand on their own or, or to stand in their own defense or to live life independently, right? A mentally disabled person has somebody, is a ward of somebody else who's able to uh, handle all the needs that somebody who's developmentally disabled can't, or a child is another example, where their rights, quote unquote, are limited. You know, right? their, their capacity to act is limited. So they have somebody as a surrogate rational person, you know, acting for them. But, but life is this standard. So um, I've, it seems like the animal activists are saying, well, even a child or a developmentally disabled person has a right to its life. Um, so what is the difference between that level of consciousness and say, you know, an, a, another animal that might have a similar level of consciousness? What is the difference? Because there's no potential that's going to be actualized in, say, somebody who's permanently disabled in that way. Well, Amanda, you want to jump in? I just want to say, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting sort of discussion and thinking about the borderline cases. I get, I don't know, it's just, it's fascinating and, and talking about like how courts treat people and like what exactly does it mean to have your rights limited and how much and I don't know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um I like to think about aliens <laughs> if you want to know the honest truth. So like, well, um, right. If aliens, I think Dr. Biko's asked, if aliens came down, would they have rights? Yeah. If, like they, were, if they were rational beings, I imagine they would. <laughs> yeah. But isn't that, wouldn't that be so interesting? Like the whole field of philosophy oh. would suddenly get incredibly interesting to me. <laughs> Where but, it's, like what would they, what would it mean to have rights for an alien? Like, are they would they have emotions? How is that different? Um, yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting to know. But it's it's the same kind of question. It's like, well, if you thought of something that has intelligence, it's got autonomy over it, itself. Like, there are certain ingredients, and then you say, okay, yeah, you've met you you have right right to life or right to I live. Just um, quickly jump in and thank Adub, who has stepped what? up with thirty thousand. Rupia, I believe. Whoa. We thank you from all of us, the global Iran Center UK movements. Thank you. You are one of us. You're a student of objectivism. Tom Kolazal is a new member. Thank you. Thanks for being part of us and you know, discussing all these. Um, you know, but but you know, I'll just make the distinction, Mark. And I think you're you're bringing up a lot of good issues about kind of humans that are mentally retarded, children uh, in particular, but. Developing disabled, I shouldn't say retarded, but you know, Dr. Peikoff says that he calls himself an egoist. He says he places, I'm paraphrasing now, I place my life and the species to which I subscribe to far above any other. And when it comes to a conflict, not quoting him, and in, in this case, invariably, it comes to a conflict between man and animal. He says, it's my species and my life and what it requires above theirs. Indeed, uh, you know, and I think I think most animals sort of adopt that perspective that perspective without even thinking about it. It's ingrained into their 
instinctual uh, behavioral map, right? They just act for their own interests automatically. And anything that gets in the way of that interest, they defend themselves against it. But I still think that when we have these borderline cases of developmentally disabled people and people who can't act fully rationally like, like children or even animals, there's, there's, for me, I can say, my dog doesn't have rights, but I treat him as if he does. And I and I and I can treat I could treat sentient beings in my life as if they do. I know there's laws in California now, or laws in others in other states that are now um, preventing police officers from breaking into your home and killing your dog, which they used to do right off the bat. They would come into your home, and if they were if if it was particularly if they thought that it was a, a haven for drug use, and they would immediately kill the dog, and then they would go through and arrest everybody. Now they're treating uh, dogs as if they're members of the family, so that police are now prohibited from doing that. Um, I, think that's a, I think that's a significant step, because we as human beings are valuing these animals in a much much, much more deeply than we were 30 years ago. And that does bestow something on them, right? Because we value them. Right. Sure. I mean, it, it's it's interesting. You 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 uh, put it as you know. I guess I would say they're property. They're not members of the family. They're your property. So they're going to come in and kill kill your dog. They're coming in and destroying your property. They better have a really good reason to. In in my mind, I mean, they're they're not they're not. I think in a weird way, we we fall into the or to, you say that they're they're part of the family. We 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 feel as if they're part of the family, but certainly the state shouldn't evaluate them as parts of the family. It's not like when, you know, if you die, then they turn to your dog and say, all right, well, what do you want to do with Mark's estate? <laughs> you know, it's their, their property. And, and well, let me, let me ask, let's go back to something Dr. Peacock said, and we kind of glossed over it. I think most people don't, is this idea of that, what animals don't have, what, I, I, we're going to focus on animals today, but I think you probably throw in, I'm guessing you meant throw in developmentally disabled and children as well is that, you know, they don't have, Dr. Peikoff says about this, they don't have the faculty of reason. He, in fact, he says, look, I give animals the same prerogative. I love this. This is again, quoting from Dr. Peikoff's podcast. If a group of mosquitoes or monkeys want to get together and say, we're more important than you are, I say, absolutely right. And if you can enforce it, good luck to you. Now, the real answer, though, is that they cannot do this. Again, quoting Dr. Peikoff, they cannot decide on principles and so on because they don't have the faculty of reason. And that is the deeper answer. So, I mean, basically, they're at war with us as well. No, I mean, the monkeys are, you know, if they could get together and build some big weapons and conquer us, you don't think they'd be doing that right now? <laughs> yeah, I've seen that movie. <laughs> I, yes, it's called Planet of the Games. Yeah, I, I don't... Uh... Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I certainly don't look at the world as some pristine Garden of Eden where everything is harmonious, but for human beings, I think, I think everything is out for itself and trying to survive to the best of its ability. Human beings just have this ultra adaptivity that we call the rational faculty that enables us a, a much wider degree of adaptivity than any other human being. And that's important. And we preserve that adaptability through rights because of our unique relationship to the material world that no other animal has. And because all of our interests are in the long range and everything has to be seen over a longer range, animals' interests are in the immediate moment, satisfying the immediate needs. Um, 
it's a very different perspective and, and, and so requires these sort of social restraints in order for us to survive peaceably with each other. Animals don't, don't have that. They're, they're, at, they're at war with each other constantly and make no bones about it. This is, this is something I think it's to object on this echo. You're obviously always taking a very fundamental point. Again, quoting Dr. Peikoff here. Thank you, thank you, Robert, for your contributions, your support as well. Dr. Peikoff quoting him again, rights are coexistent with the faculty of reason. To respect someone's rights means to treat him by persuasion rather than by coercion. It means to say he's a sovereign entity and you will appeal to his mind. So if he doesn't have a mind, it's out of a question. And someone, Anne in our super chat wrote, take your stinking paws off me, almost anticipating what Dr. Peikoff wrote or said. You cannot have a raging lion come at you and you say, let's just, you know, let's discuss this. Let's talk about this. You know, I just you, realized why that's woods. such an, an insult to tell a man, take your paws off of me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, because it means they're like an animal. I got it. It's good. It's good stuff. Right, but you can't, we can't reason with the animals. This is, this is the problem. We can't, we can train them. We can get them to follow some basic orders, but we can't reason with them and they can't reason. They can't get together and say, all right, you know, how can we gang up on Amanda and get into her apartment and take her stuff? They can't uh, do look, it and they never will be able to. That's true. I am 100% for domestication of everything if possible. Look at the difference between the domesticated cow and how, how useful it is to the human being and an African water buffalo. Uh, which, which would you rather be caught in a pen with? That African water buffalo kills more human beings than lions. They are vicious, vicious creatures. Um, you know, a, a wolf is a very dangerous thing. A domesticated dog is, has a great deal of utility for human beings on every level. Domesticated plants, it, it, the, domesticate the world, man. Humanize it, make it safe for human habitation. That's a very, very, very good thing. Well, yeah, I agree, I like it. It's like, it's a good, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you're like, I think of animals and, and plants too that we use, they're like human inventions. A dog is a human invention, right? It's a it's an interesting kind of human invention because it's it's alive and you've kind of you've shaped it through many generations and to make it into this perfect. I mean, like Ruffles is she's like the perfect, <laughs> the perfect being, like she's the perfect companion. She's exactly trained to do, you know, she just like that's what she does. She knows how to do, I don't know. So somebody invented that, you know, some Dutch guy a long time ago started breeding the ruffles and now. Now I make uh, make use of her. It's, it's, yeah, it's great. It's, it's certainly totally something that's only possible in, seems like in an industrial advanced world. I mean, you can be a, maybe a beggar and have, you know, a little cat that you, you know, have scraps with, but the idea of forming a bond with a animal that you can feed and lives in a high standard of life has medical care. I mean, even my grandmother who was born in the late 1800s, she always thought of animals as something that were outside. You know, the idea that a dog came into your home, slept in your bed, it's such a product of 20, in my mind, the 20th century. I mean, that's... Sure. Oh, yeah. Even in, yeah, in the 1970s, our dogs stayed outside. They weren't, they weren't allowed in. Um, and now, you know, they're just, our, our I, I, I just want to say our moral arc or sensitivity towards living things has grown so much more. I would think that would be, a distinct quality of objectivists more than more than any other type of philosophy, um, even though it seems to be promoted by these these altruist types. 
who, who I don't find benevolent in any, by any stretch of the imagination. I feel like they incorporate these things at the expense of human life, whereas an objectivist incorporates these things as an enhancement of human life, as a part of, of growing our consciousness and our experiences of the world. And, and certainly, in, and not as a sacrifice, I think that, you know, in the sense that, and, and you know, Rand was a famous lover of cats. Uh, Frisco is, and all of her other cats, and Dr. Peikoff as well. These people really valued, valued these animals. But even Dr. Peikoff says that, you know, Rand was asked, you know, is there any way in effect to have a protection for, a, a political protection for animals? And as I understand it, couldn't find an understanding. Now, and thank you, Allie. Let's, let's take Allie's question. She's a great supporter. Allie wants to know, what about animals being left in vehicles during the summer? I would say call the police to get the animal out, but you could get charged for breaking the window. Amanda, what say you? Uh, yeah, like living beings, pets are important to people. Like, And if I saw one that was in jeopardy and I could do something about that, I think I, I would. I don't know, it just, it makes sense. It's like they're living things that our pets have a certain status in my, you know, in my, in my heart and yeah, I would try to save it if I could. I mean, I wouldn't yes. put my life at danger, like to jump in the, the rapids of the raging river to go after some pit bull that, <laughs> that I don't know anything about. Yeah, no, it's, but, it's, yeah. it's an interesting question because there's a, there's a bit of the emergency element here in that in Ali's question of like, do you risk yourself? Do you risk being a charge with breaking a window? And then there's a sense of it's a do you just value life because it's a it's a living entity? Well, I mean, there's, uh, yeah, this is, is an interesting question here because uh, the, the person who's leaving their their dog in. Uh, a, a car with the windows rolled up or even cracked and when it's extremely hot outside um, is, is, is extremely neglect, extremely neglectful and, um, and, and disrespectful of the, the, not only the comfort, but the health of the being that's in there. And, and I think, I think the police could interfere in a situation like that. And that, that's the danger of, you know, claiming something as your property, as opposed to understanding that it's a living autonomous being that's sentient, which makes it something different. It's, it's something a little different. I mean, we need, the, we need the designation of property to say it's ours and so that we have, uh, you know, sovereignty over it. We have, we have total control over it, but that total control could mean something like that, which I don't think anybody could countenance. I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't walk past a car like that when it's 90 degrees out and I see a dog going through heat stroke in the car without bashing that window in and oh, pulling yeah. that dog you, out. Yeah, and you do, you do it without a, a moment's notice. I mean, you yeah. don't, you know, I wouldn't. And if they said, well, I'm charging you for the, the window, I'd say, send me a bill. Send, you know, send, I mean, you know, you can't kind of stand by. In fact, Dr. Peikoff um, said this exactly, quoting again, he says, I don't mean it's morally proper to do anything you want to animals. I would say if you wantonly engage in sadistic torture of animals for the sheer pleasure <clears throat> of their suffering, that is no benefit of medical knowledge or of food or hides or anything like that, no practical, tangible, objective human life benefit, that is immoral, you're sick but it's still outside the province of government to prevent. 
and there okay, is something it, about that. And okay, so there may not be mind. law. There may not be laws that the government can make with respect to that. But I, as a human being witnessing this kind of brutality, can do something about it. In fact, if the son of a bitch asked me to pay for his window, I'd say I'm taking your dog. You're not getting him back. Uh, there's nothing you can do about it because I'll whoop your ass. And you can, you can take your window and shove it, peace, and leave with the dog. So that's his penalty for cruelty. All right. Now he, he can he can now now the fact that he might have uh, some form of legal sanction to to take me to court to to you know um, to make him whole again after what he's done uh, that sort of disturbs me. I, I, I'm having issues wrapping my head around. Peacock statement, even though it's intellectually consistent, it, I, I, I get it. The fact that there can be no legal recourse against somebody who is wantonly sadistic or negligent like that, uh, it chafes me. I have to work my way through this one. He, he I, I believe from what I've read, there was that similar frustration because he's obviously a huge animal valuer. We are all huge animal valuers. And I admit, Amanda, you want, you want to jump in? You're good? Um, yeah, I think I think as much as it makes you angry and like you can't you just you can't go there. <laughs> like I go to the vet sometimes with ruffles and then they're they start saying things to me that worry me like uh, like oh you really take good care of your dog or gee she hasn't had a bath in a while or something and I worry that like okay are they going to report me to somebody for like you know, I care for my dog in the way that I do it. And that's my, my right to do it. And people have all sort like, I don't know if you've met, there's some really crazy pet owners who are, I don't know, they just take it to a level that I don't. <laughs> and then, you know, so they're going to be able to tell me or dictate, you know, how it is that I, I care for my animal, the way that I treat it. Um, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think that's, that's right. And there are things that you could do if you saw someone, I don't know, you knew of someone being cruel, like you wouldn't want to be friends with them, support them in any way. I don't know. Look, I Maybe would, you'd I, want to I, make it public, like, hey, this guy's a, a dog beater. Certain, certain. I'm not public. sure that there's anything you could do legally or if that's right, as hard as it is. Well, I mean, let's say as a consumer, let's just say as a consumer, you could certainly say, I'm not going to buy meat from a, I mean, Mark and I were chatting before the program, you know, there's a kosher meat is famously kind of killed in a friendly way. I guess if you can kill a cow in a friendly way, they're not tortured. They're, you know, grass fed. I mean, there's ways as a consumer, we can, ex you know, express our preferences about the type of animal cruelty we're involved with. Do you, have yeah, you heard I mean, Temple Grandin <laughs> about her? The autistic woman who helped, um, you know, uh, revolutionized cow slaughter because she, was interested in like what the cow was thinking and feeling um, and she related to the cows and oh my gosh, you got to check her out. If you've never heard of Temple Granite, everyone in the super chat's like, yeah, I know what you're talking about, Amanda. Oh, really? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> how, 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 what's her, what's her, uh, what's her take on killing these animals? How does she do it in a way that doesn't distress them so much? Oh, I, she, so she invented like the cattle shoot that you see everywhere, you know, where they, they kind of go one by one and then they step up to the place where they're slaughtered. Um, it's something that holds them in, uh, makes the animal feel comfort. And I think for her, she was autistic. And so she, she found that comforting too. I don't oh. know, you to look into the details, but she, yeah, she revolutionized the way that uh, animals are slaughtered so that they, they, 
they feel the least amount of pain that is is possible. So I'm glad for her, like people to to you know think about those things and take care of those things. Well, look, and I I think I think these kinds of considerations are first world considerations. Thank God, right? We we now have provided the political class doesn't completely destroy us in the next ten years. We have the wealth wealth capacity to be able to consider the animals' well being and welfare, understand how that affects the quality of the meat and the health, uh, our health as a result, and perhaps provide the types of facilities that enable these creatures to have a, a better uh, life situation uh, while they're alive. Um, but, you know, in the early days of industrial f- food creation, it was about, you know, getting the product out to people and, 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 and increasing the accessibility of meat. I mean, people don't even think about the fact that 60 years ago, you know, meat was a luxury to have. You had it on your plate once a week and it was a, it was a real treat. And now we have it all the time. You know, our, and that's why we're big and strong and, and, and have so much more longevity than our ancestors do. So it's quite a gift then. And people look industrial far, look at industrial farming with an, a jaundiced eye, but they forget that, hey, we have to go through stages before we're able to, um, you know, uh, get rich enough to clean things up and make it nicer. Yeah, also have to realize that farmers, like they don't treat their animals the same way that you treat an animal as a pet. And it's totally, it's the right thing or reasonable thing to do it that way. It's a, it's a commodity. You have a whole herd of them. You're, um, you, you, if one of them's sick, you may have to call it. And it's, it's not the same as how oh, my, my pet Ruffles is, is ill and I'm going to try to treat her. It, it's, I have a different attitude towards my particular animal, um, but farmers are not often like that. Or they're even if they have dogs, they're they're a working animal, and they're they're treated in a different way that you or I might treat our our pets. Um, and that's also reasonable to do that. So I I don't know. There's a lot of judgment I think on uh, when people treat their dogs in a different way than what you would. So at least uh, I've Rob, noticed that. There's an active super chat, Robin team. Robert, so many of our members, our subscribers on the channel, we want some super chaps as well, super chats as well. Uh, Team says she's watching this eating spicy chicken right now. So, uh, uh, you know what, I have to say, I cheekily kind of took this to bat on Fox News a few years ago with none other than Judge Jeanine Pirot on this particular issue. Let's listen quickly about animal torture, if we can. Let's see if we have it. Do we have that video? Well, maybe we don't. Let's, we'll, 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 we, will, we will get to it. Basically saying that, you know, animals property. And, you know, Amanda, kind of to your point, it's uncomfortable when you see someone with a pet treating them in a way that you don't want them to be treated. But, you know, I don't know, Mark, if you went up and took that animal away from that person, you're going to have a hell of a lot of animals you're taking care of. And what's to stop him or her well, from then going abusing another animal? That's true, but they're not abusing that one. And I, and I can afford to take care of that animal if I want to, or find a home for it where I know that it's going to be treated the way it deserves to be treated. So um, I, I'm still uncomfortable with this notion of property, even though I understand it, uh, even though uh, intellectually I think it's right, it chafes against my emotional sense because of the way I feel about my own animals. I don't feel Frankie or Johnny or Cody are my property. I feel like 
they're, you know, they're, they're wards in a sense, they're my responsibility, they're living things that I take care of uh, to the best of my ability. And if anybody were to hurt them, it would, it would be as if they were hurting a kid of mine. Um, it would bring the, the wrath of- the same way it, about Mardine, but you know that that's what the Greens say. They say, this earth is, what, it's like our children. And when you are cutting down the trees, you are hurting the fabric. I mean, you know, they use that, they use that they same just, language. Yeah, they use the James Cameron uh, avatar notion of, you know, this delicate interwoven uh, net of biological net that is sensitive to every aspect of, every movement and every creature on the planet is sort of interconnected. And that's just so not true. Anybody who holds that notion of the earth uh, just needs to watch an episode of Naked and Afraid to see how hostile, dirty, and horrific it is to live in a state of nature and then pray for domestication, okay? The earth does not like you. It doesn't give a shit about you. And other species don't either. Domesticated things do. Domesticated things, uh, you know, bring the earth resources within our control and, and make life actually very good. <laughs> but if you tried to go out there on your own and procure food and fresh drinking water, remember, fresh water is about 1% of the water in the world. And, and just getting it to a state where it's drinkable in, a, in, a, in the state of nature is really hard. So uh, thank your lucky stars for domestication. Kubaba mentions, I'm sure it's been pointed out that you don't raise animals up by giving them rights, you lower people. And Allison mentions, pets are our buddies. I hate it when someone tells me, you can't just get another pet. Like my connection to my pet doesn't matter. They're not me, you know, she's picking, she's picking other values. But quoting now from Dr. Peekoff, to demand that man defer to the quote rights of other species is to demand man himself the right to life. This is otherism, it's altruism gone mad. So this, this whole notion, Mark, as you were kind of alluded to, the Greens, you know, they see, see an interconnection in this and in, in, in a, uh, a, a um, in egalitarianism that says, well, we're all living beings on earth, so we all have the same rights. Dr. Peekoff, Dr. Peekoff says, if I was a cow, from that viewpoint, I would say a cow's life comes first. And that would be valid, they would be valid, except, you know, cows can't do it. They can't raise the question, our pleasure outweighs their life, which kind of answers our, our question today. Why is the taste of meat more important than the taste of an animal's life? Well, and, and again, you know, animals automatically act for their own interests. Human beings act for their interests by choice. And that's why we have these systems called rights so that it enables us to act by choice. And but yeah, you, so if you feel bad when you're having a steak, like I don't feel bad when I have a steak. Um, I, I don't feel bad when I eat meat or chicken or fish or any animal product. I do try to find um, sources for the animal product that I think are more benevolent and give a, a better quality of life to um, to the animal. But then again, that's a first world problem. And, you know, and and you can't denigrate other sources of food that make make life-giving protein accessible to poorer people because you don't like the way they're raising the animals. I mean, in the end, once again, we have to hold ourselves as a priority. Yeah, I mean, Even I, though I, I agree with that, but I'm, I'm still uncomfortable with this notion of property though. I remember <laughs> Dr. Peekoff saying the same thing. He, he's eaten everything, you know, fish, 
game things, but he also said, Amanda, when he's reading a book and he sees that they introduce a dog, as I recall, he says, I throw the book out, the fiction book out, because I know that the dog is going to die and he doesn't want to read it. So object, there's so many objectivists that like Mark, like myself, like you, like Dr. Peikoff, like Ms. Rand, are such valuers of animals, hold them close to us like they're truly members of our family, that they're parts of us, knowing at the same time that there's a difference between them or us. They are a different species, they don't have rights, and our pleasure as human being outweighs that. Yes. Alexander Stepanov, thank you so much for 30, that is a currency that I don't know, but I'm really fascinated about. Thank you so much. You're part well, of us. Hold on. Wait a second. There's a currency that you don't know? I, I know. This is a new one for me. I'm gonna, I'm really curious about it. It's, um, it's a symbol that is fascinating. Alexander says, if you're starting to humanize animals, there's a slippery slope without stopping points down to humanizing trees and germs. Well, well I, and I agree with that. From the, the egalitarian perspective would be, well, they're all on this earth. We're all the same. We're all living. And... Why don't the germ, I mean, there's famously the spotted owl in America where tons of development was stopped because of the spotted owl. So Mark, why not trees and germs? Right, yes, definitely not. Because you know, when, when you elevate those beings, you denigrate human life. And it's no mistake that you start to see people, I think in, in today's culture, uh, you know, which, which is, which doesn't recognize individualism, uh, but recognizes groups only, you see a deep contempt for individual human life and, and a lack of respect for it and a hostility and violence directed towards it that, I don't I, I, I mean, we have periods of history that where, where this kind of thing, um, you know, comes to the fore, but we're seeing it again, you know, you know collectivist times that, that breed intense hostility towards individuals and lack of respect for human life. Um, and yeah, so I, d I don't think you should elevate a life at the expense of another. I think each, each, each one has its place, right? In the hierarchy of consciousness, um, it has its place. Yeah, I think um, you're- Here's, you, um, oh, go, go ahead, Amanda, please. Yeah, sure, no worries. So, uh, never mind. I totally forgot, <laughs> forgot well, what I was work, gonna work say. On, this is Alexander again. This is his symbol. I'm fascinated oh, by that. So maybe it's like a- Bitcoin. It's, it's like a, like a non-Nazi swastika, Greek, which Greek. is good around here. We like that one. Um, <laughs> free trade with a very generous contribution. The shekel. He asks, he says, some animals use tools using sticks to collect insects, etc. Is this a very rudimentary type of reason, even if far below the level which would afford the same animal rights? Maybe. Uh, this is, I mean, this is the kind of question <clears throat> that biologists ask and maybe philosophers even think about this kind of stuff too like animals use tools they do interesting things that um you know indicate their level of intelligence but um yeah they don't have language in the way that we do there's a there's a, a real difference between humans and and other and animals that's the whole point that <laughs> i don't know that's the whole point and that's the and and this is the point I was going to make before that if you don't understand where rights come from and then you, you base it on something else, like you pick something like, well, uh, rights come from the fact that something can feel pain. 
okay, but you, you've made a mistake. And so, yeah, you're going to categorize plants and everything else. If that's, right. if you think pain is the, is the thing that determines the rights. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta be, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the whole challenge and, of philosophy is like, you got to figure these things out for real, like actually what it means and, and the technical details and all of the cases. And, and what do you do about the borderline cases and, and how do those fit in? That's one of the well, things. You're, you're that, right. That's I mean, I mean, I mean, do. I don't particularly like nature, but it is amazing. I mean, a beehive is amazing. Uh, a, a, a nest is amazing. How do they do that? But Farat mentions, you know, the point is, is the bees have done that forever. They're never going to get better. They're never going to figure out a new way to do it. The, the birds have always built, the, the beavers have always done their thing. They're never going to say, you know, this year, let's try it a little different. Let's make the, they're, they're, and as Farad says, animals take these actions automatically because of biological programming. And this is a little bit out of my area of bandwidth, but Mark, isn't that kind of what it is? I mean, they are programmed to do this and they're never going to kind of get together and say, let's come up with that. They, 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 they can't move beyond that. Human beings always can and always will. As long as they yeah. Can. I mean, I think that's the case with most animals that uh, demonstrate intelligence. I don't know about primates and I don't know about, let's say whales, certain types of whales that are predatory or dolphins. Um, I don't know what levels of language they have. They certainly are able to communicate. They, they certainly uh, have, um, much more sophisticated brains than, than other beings in the animal kingdom. So, uh, you know, and there was that gorilla, what's her, what's her name that was able Coco. to- Coco. Coco had something in the neighborhood Sign of three or, 300, three or 400 words in her vocabulary and she could communicate. That's, it's, it's pretty astounding. I mean, that's, that's, that's a level of- But you Coco know, couldn't say to the guard, like, look, give me the key. And when I get out, I'll send you the money for my release. Right, right. Can she, could she be creative? Could could she improvise with that dialogue and put put you know concepts that's together in a way that humans? I've heard about th those animals. Like that's what people get really excited about when I don't know if it was Coco or some other gorilla. Like finally put together two words. It was like water and bird to like mean maybe that she was trying to take this is actually a swan or something. And like that was the most exciting thing that that the gorilla ever did. And that's like, that's telling, right? It's like they, they can- a like hundred million dollars in research later. <laughs> yeah, no, but like, I mean, it's interesting. Like they can, they learn words, they can do that kind of thing. But then like, that's the kind of level of things that people get excited about. It's like, wow, she put bird and water together and maybe she, you know, may, meant to say swan and like, wow, that's the best that she's gonna get in, you know, for a, for a gorilla or whatever, chimp or whatever she was. No, it's, it's telling. Robert, Robert points out that the, the reason it's difficult, I think he thinks to your point, Mark, about kind of getting on the property bandwagon for animals uh, uh, considerably is he says that pets aren't inanimate objects. They're not the same as other things. The metaphors only go so far. You know, and, and you know, maybe that's, I mean, pets, you can't leave on the, the wall or you can't leave in the, in, the, in the closet. You have to take care of them. You know, they are, as, as Robert says, I mean, these are, they're living creatures. They're not human beings, but they're they're living creatures that and require and attention, responsibility. Living creatures that require attention, responsibility, but they also have personalities, individual personalities, very, very clear, uh, a very clear emotional life. You know, that's very individual to each one. Even if they come from the same litter, you know, you'll see very like very unique 
uh, a very unique living thing there. And so that's, that is definitely part of the reason I chafe under the concept of property for something alive, even though, um, um, particularly dogs, you know, and cats that, that are companions to you and serve not just, not just the utilitarian purpose of being a work animal or, or a, a, an animal that's a, as a food source, but you know, that is an, an emotional companion to you. Well, Miss Rand said on multiple occasions, I believe Amanda, that a, a pet is a substitute friend. And a friend is a great, very unique, very important value. And I think, you know, it's, it's something very unique in objectivism that there's such an affinity for pets as immense values in individuals' lives and all of our lives. And at the same time, knowing that, you know, human beings are understandably and importantly at the top of the food chain and are the ones whose rights ultimately matters, but that doesn't denigrate the very important relationships that we have with these living personality-laden creatures. That's right. That's right. And I think objectivism offers that unique perspective and I don't see it anywhere. Once again, we're outside of the, the mainstream, but in, in all the right ways. You know, I, um, there's so many wonderful stories about Miss Rand and her cats and the emotions that she spent with, had with them and, and Dr. Peacock as well with his dogs. These are real animal lovers. And so, um, it's a, it's, a, it's a unique perspective. And as students of objectivism, we're happy to share these ideas with you. Uh, Alexander, thank you for the shekels. We were told back by our backstage advisors that Alexander has been very generous with his shekels. He says, probably we can define sentient beings as beings we can trade with. Thank you, Alexander, for getting it. Well, what, what, what do you guys Maybe. say? I mean, is it trade with, is it reason with? I mean, if the aliens came down, Amanda, and you just said, yeah. is it like, they attacked us as long as we kept, you know, maybe oh. we kept giving them corn, they wouldn't attack. Oh but my goodness. Like, them like, is I don't know. This, this is, mentioned? this is the thing. It's like, it's not an easy answer. It's there's been whole entire Star Trek episodes that have been based on this question, right? Like we've discovered this new form of life. How do we determine if it's, if it's first of all intelligent, then how do we know if it's like sentient in, in the way that it, it understands itself, it's conscious of itself. Like there's all sorts of, I don't know, layers of it. And it, if it's an alien, like it could look totally different than the way that like our evolutionists solved that problem. Um, but yeah, it's not like there's an easy answer. I think trade isn't isn't right. Like um, I worked at an animal testing lab. I should come out with it now <laughs> at 46 minutes after the <laughs> after the hour. But you could trade with a monkey. You could give it a peanut, and it gives you something back. Like I don't know. I don't. I don't know what that would mean. It's not. The yeah, same. but I think I, I I would consider it sort of a trade. Not not in the material sense that we're used to. And not necessarily in the full human sense of two people consciously exchanging values to profit, but they they just naturally they they are they reciprocate naturally, and they give you an emotional benefit um, that you might not be able to get in other places, and and, and that's trade enough for me. There's something about sharing something with another living creature that's not a human being that it's like a secret between you and this living creature that only you know. I mean, I, I know my dog, I look in the eyes very closely, very frequently, and that's that's hella intimate. I mean, it's really intimate. Um, at the same time, you know, the dog cannot sue me in a court, court of law and say, 
what's with this kibble? I want fancy feast. You know what I mean? The dog <laughs> doesn't have that right. I own yeah. it. It's got to listen to me. And, um, but we thank our audience. I know we thank all of you for supporting Iran Center UK, especially the members. Now is a great time to become a member, be part of what we're doing, be part of the Daily Objective. There's no more shows today, but tomorrow we'll have a new Daily Objective live from Ocon theme with another generous contribution saying, what about lifelong social punishments for animal cruelty? Is that worse than temporary imprisonment? You, I mean, you mean how like do we deal social with punishment as in like the, the football player that was discovered that he was running like a, a cockfighting ring and then nobody likes the dog, it. Now. It was and a dog got, fighting ring. Yeah. Got Michael kicked Vick. off the team. I mean, yeah. we've seen we've seen the power of social censure now and how 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 it really can isolate and and uh, mess up people's lives. Um, it can be a very formidable tool to adjust behavior. <laughs> That's for sure. If it's used rationally, of course, most of the time it's used irrationally and and promotes false narratives and hurts people unjustly. But yeah, I think that is the peaceful way. I think that you can deal with situations like this without using litigation if if the animal doesn't rise to the level of being able to create laws on their behalf human beings can shun the person who uh who treats animals in a certain way and and that could have quite an interesting yeah. effect are we and i've you know i mean on the investment side we've definitely seen that you know footage will get out from something that you know looks bad for animals and people will step up their invest some will make a choice but you know, as there was a case in Chicago recently where an animal activist um, just glued himself to a Starbucks counter and like super glued himself there because- Wasn't that the actor? Wasn't that that the actor Cromwell? Is it James Cromwell? It's- How much super glue did it take? He's a a very fine actor, but did he he super glue his bare bottom? That's what I want to know. (laughs) Because yeah, that would, that be, would be, that would be real commitment to me. Yeah. And that'd be real news too, especially but the now, part where he's he got to like require, walk around with a counter still, stuck to his butt the rest of his life. You know, the irony is he still had, he still qualifies as a, as a sentient being and my dog doesn't, it doesn't seem right. I mean, he, he well, Agreed. we appreciate all of your support, Robert, Ali, Free Trade, Tom, all of our members, team, Alexander, so much great support today. So we'll keep the conversation going the Thursday Collective and every day. So um, thanks for being part of the job. Mark, the master, we always appreciate what you're doing here. You're such a big part of it. So Thank any you. final words, gents and ladies? Uh, right, um, go, go, yep. go hug <laughs> your animals. Yeah, go hug your animals. Give them a kiss. <laughs> Treat them Good right. dog ruffles. Yes, okay. and as, as I mean, I, I don't know if you'd agree with Bob Barker. I always used to say, "Get your uh, cat spayed and dogs neutered." But um, we'll leave it with this. From an objectivist perspective, we wish you best premises, and we'll see you back here tomorrow for more of the Daily Objective. Be well. Peace. Bye.